love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome into this edition of 48 Days Online Radio, where each week we take 48 minutes to examine the value of our work. Now, you know work is not just an exchange of time for a paycheck. We all know that. But it's our best opportunity to live out our calling and to create the legacy we want to leave behind. So what are we doing in work? How can we make it what we want it to be? Well, each week I look at questions that you, the listeners, submit. I love to look through the questions coming in. These are real-life questions, things that we all deal with. And we're going to break some of those down today in ways that hopefully will take us all to higher levels of success. If you've got a question, you can go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link, put in your question there. would be happy to entertain that in an upcoming show. Well, I want to title today's program, Do I Have to Be Fair? And I'll tell you why in a little bit. When we're leaders, sometimes we think we have to be fair. We'll look at that. Here's some of the questions we're going to be addressing. How can I be a coach when so many other people are already doing it? All right, we'll look at, you know, if somebody is already in an industry, if you want to open a pizza business in your town and you already have a Papa John's, Little Caesars and Pizza Hut, is it a wise move? Well, we'll discuss some of those principles. Dan, I'm a 25-year-old man struggling with moving forward in life and business. And I'd love to know your thoughts on waiting on God, even when you feel like you're in the wrong place. Here's an interesting one. Do Christians want to be coached or is it better for me to look for another niche? Ouch. Dan, I'm mentally drained. I want to be alive again. And here's one young man in a family business says, I'm torn between family loyalty and ambition. Which should I choose? Well, here's our quotation for the day comes from William Jennings Bryan, who said, destiny is not a matter of chance, but a matter of choice. It is not a thing to be waited for. It is a thing to be achieved. Hey, we got coming up a Chick-fil-A leader cast. Now this is going to be broadcast live out of Atlanta. You can go to Atlanta if you want to, you can pay big bucks to sit there and listen to people like Soledad O'Brien, Tim, Tim Tebow, Marcus Buckingham, John Maxwell, Let's see, Urban Meyer, Andy Stanley, and some others. That's going to be the live broadcast in Atlanta. However, it is simulcast to some hot spots around the country, one of those being Franklin, Tennessee. It's going to be broadcast right here in Franklin at the factory, which is a wonderful, wonderful old factory, an old mattress factory that's been redone into quaint little shops and meeting areas. So it's going to be there. They've got a big meeting room there. Well, my friend Ernie Campbell is putting together all the details for that, but I'm going to be a luncheon speaker. So you're going to see all the big name speakers, Tim Tebow, Marcus Buckingham, John Maxwell, Andy Stanley, and all the others talking on leadership. But then I'm going to do a luncheon segment on the power of the mastermind. How, if you are a leader, sometimes it can be lonely at the top. And you wonder, is there anybody around I can really confide in? Well, I'm going to talk about the power of linking arms with other people who are on the same level as you, even if they aren't employees or employers, but the power of connecting. So I'd love to have you come there. Just go to leadercastnashville.com and you'll see the details for the Franklin, Tennessee simulcast of the Chick-fil-A Leadercast. Again, that's leadercastnashville.com. Love to meet you there. 
Well, now I've been listening to some, a lot of material out there on leadership, both reading things like Dave Ramsey's new book, Entree Leadership, and listening to things like Andy Stanley's series on leadership. Andy Stanley's got a really interesting kind of mantra for their church. He pastors the very large North, North Point Community Church, just north of Atlanta. And as a organization like that grows, you can't do the same kind of things you used to always do. As an example, a pastor of a large church cannot do every wedding, every funeral, can't be available every night when somebody has a teenager that doesn't show up. So his kind of theme for the church and the leadership group there is do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So it doesn't mean that you just become unavailable, but you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Now, I know that I deal with that in getting you know, multiple, multiple requests for lunches. Gee, Dan, can I have lunch with you? Well, there's only five days a week when I'm going to even be available. I'm not going to eat lunch three times a day. So, you know, how do you do that? And sometimes I struggle with that, but it, it kind of gave me some comfort in that, you know, do for one, what you wish you could do for everyone. So it's not that I'm going to stop, but just because I had lunch with a buddy of yours six months ago is not a guarantee that I'm going to be available to have lunch with you next week. So I think it's it's something that we can learn. You know, this is not about being fair. I know family units struggle with this. If you give one kid a cookie, do you have to give all the kids a cookie? No, you don't. You don't have to be fair. I mean, the world's not fair, and trying to be fair sometimes dilutes your effectiveness as a leader, both in an organization and certainly in the family. Well, let's go to some of the questions. Chris from Colorado says, we moved to our current location about 300 miles from home over two years ago for a job that I've had that I've since quit. I built a property maintenance business that I believe I can relocate and run back home. I'll run Craigslist, Facebook, newspaper ads before moving to get appointments and momentum for the business. But my wife wants to stay here because we're financially better off here than we were before. The cost of living is cheaper here. She'll, she's worried we'll go back to the way things were with us broke and me out of work. I've tried convincing her that now I have control over my work, not an employer. This has caused some big fights between us. We're only supposed to be here for a year with the job. We have no family or friends here. No reason to stay here other than cheap rent. What are your thoughts? Well, I agree that if you have nothing keeping you there, but cheap rent, that's not a good enough reason to stay somewhere. You ought to be living where you want to live, where you are connected with friends and community that you want to be involved in. So it sounds like there's good rationale for going back home, but it also sounds like there's been some breach of trust. When you say that you've had periods of us broken me out of work, yeah, that breaks trust in a marriage relationship. So you need to rebuild your trust. So just prove exactly what you describe here. Get those appointments, contracts, momentum for your business even before you move back. If you show that you have a book of business and you can move back and you're fully up to speed, generating more income than you've ever had before, then the geographical move is not really a big deal. So approach it in that way. Sydney from West, uh, well, from Washington rather, says, uh, Dan, thanks for coaching me from your place behind my computer speakers and from the ink in the pages of your books. I'm a highly de- talented database designer, requirements engineer, software architect with over 25 years of experience developing business applications and managing teams. 
I earn my six-figure salary in a company that has lots of the wrong people on the bus and people like me in the wrong seats on the bus, not the way that I love to work. I love working with clients and want to see others succeed, so I'm restarting my part-time consulting business. I'm also considering starting to coach young people so I can be a resource for them as they build their first businesses. How do I move away from trading hours for dollars when there's so many other people already speaking, writing, and vending in this area? Well, Sydney, if you want to position yourself as a coach, then learn how to be a professional coach. And it doesn't matter that there's a lot of other people doing that. You can get rich. Uh, just yesterday, I was working in a coaching session with a lady and uh, she wanted to move into being a special needs educational advocate and consultant. And I said, you know, it doesn't matter that there are a lot of other people doing that. All you have to do is be 10% better than the others and you can get wealthy doing it. And she couldn't get by that phrase. She kept coming back to that. Is that really true? All I have to do is be 10% better. I said, yes, absolutely. So there can be a lot of other coaches out there. If you can identify what it is you're going to do that gives you a 10% edge, you can get wealthy doing it. So ask yourself that, what are you going to do to to be 10% better than all the other coaches in your area? I mean, I've had fun doing that here and I get some really cool opportunities to coach and those continue. I've got lots of people that I have the opportunity to work with. Well, I've done some things to identify what is unique about working with Dan Miller. You can do that as well. You know, we've got a coaching with excellence event coming up here, a live event coming up here at the sanctuary, May 24th and 25th. And we'll be dealing with just that. How do you make yourself stand out as a coach? How can you position yourself as a coach where you can then have the kind of profitability that you want to have? One of the things that I'm going to be doing in that, and this is new, I've just developed this, but I'm going to be talking about 10 ways you can make a hundred thousand dollars as a coach. Now that includes, you know, having some kind of an area of intellectual expertise, but 10 different ways in which in each of those, you can make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Now, obviously if you did all 10 of those, it'd be a million dollars. You can plug in the the figures any way that you want to, but I'm going to be showing you this process for 10 different ways to make a hundred thousand dollars. So, you know, check out the coaching with excellence event coming up. Just go to the 48 days.com site, click on live events. You'll see the details on that there, but yes, absolutely. You can position yourself as a coach. Well, here's a call in question. This comes in from bill. Let's listen to bill's question. Hey, Dan, Bill Morgan in Mississippi, Tupelo, Mississippi. I am looking into becoming a business broker uh, listing and selling businesses with a reputable company, mom and pop businesses. I'm in uh, auto and home insurance. I'm PNC insurance right now, but it's a very lucrative field, business brokerage, and I'm looking to get into it. Uh, it's very expensive to get started. I've got a network actually in Nashville, uh, that I'm looking to go to work with. Uh, just wondering your opinion on it. Thanks. Have a great day. Well, Bill, it sounds like you've done a lot of research on business brokerage. And that's the first part. So if you have the confidence that it has a lot of potential, and certainly I agree with you, and I think it does. I think it's an exciting field to be in. It's not easy, particularly because there's a whole lot of people that list businesses that are not profitable. They just want to walk away from them, but want to get a little money from them. So you have to convince a buyer that there's potential there, even if perhaps the business hasn't been making money, but there's also the others businesses that are very profitable and somebody just wants to step down because their retirement age or they want to move on to something else. 
not unexpected at all. Entrepreneurs go through multiple businesses. So the fact that they want to sell one doesn't mean that it's a bad business. They just by the very nature of how entrepreneurs are wired often move on. So, yeah, I agree. And that's, it sounds like a, like you've done your homework and it sounds like an exciting area to get into. It's something that I've looked at a lot. I've been approached about over the years because I have people coming on both sides that want to buy and sell. But yeah, I think it's a cool thing to get into. Establish yourself as an expert and rock and roll with it. Well, Philippa from, um, well, this comes from, from England, South Yorkshire, England. Sheffield, England, it says Sheffield, England. Dan, I love your podcast. Oh, this is just a comment. I'm a freelance writer in Britain. Have an M and had been listener. I just had to contact you about something you said in the most recent episode of your podcast. You said anybody who tells you it can't be done. It just means they haven't been able to do it themselves. Well, she liked that. Philippa liked that, that little saying from me. And I certainly believe that she says it reminded her of a quote that she found a few days ago. And this is an old Chinese proverb that says the person who says it cannot be done should not interrupt the person doing it. Keep up the great work. Well, thanks for your comment, Philippa. Appreciate that. This comes from Caleb in Florida. Now, Caleb says, I'm a 25 year old man. I'm struggling with moving forward in life and business. I have approximately one semester of school remaining, but I struggle with just getting a degree. I've only had entry level jobs and know that I have potential to do more, but lack the desire to invest in something that isn't a long-term goal. I feel like a wandering generality as Zig Ziglar says, although I believe I have great potential. I see this as fuel, which is worthless without the engine of action. Golly, some great phrasing here. Although I have great potential, I see this as fuel with which is worthless without the engine of action. That's a great line. Ultimately, I would love to communicate professionally with a biblical framework, much like yourself and Zig. I have no platform. I'm young. I feel like I need something tangible in the present to move me toward the future. I've thought of taking the next year off to focus on self-improvement in the areas of health and practical education. Your thoughts? Well, yes, I have lots of thoughts. Caleb, 25 years old, is struggling with life and business. Self-improvement is not something that's done best in isolation. It's done best while fully engaged in work and life. I mean, you don't build a platform, make an impact, generate a ton of money while learning, analyzing, being introspective or praying. Now you do all those things by being active in life. I mean, Zig Ziglar built his platform, his impact, his business, his legacy, his, his wealth by knocking on thousands of doors, selling cookware. Now that wasn't his dream and where he ended up ultimately, but that's what built his base. He just chose something and jumped in it a hundred percent. I built my audience by working my fanny off in business ventures that I had, not all of them successful. But then I started teaching Sunday school and I had an opportunity to speak hundreds and hundreds of times for free and then writing simple materials that people would buy. And all of those things then set the stage for bigger speaking opportunities, writing that reaches, you know, millions of people now on income that continues predictably month after month. Now your name is Caleb. Remember in the Bible, when the children of Israel came to the borders of the promised land, Moses sent 12 young guys in to scout out the new land. 10 of them came back and said, man, those people are going to kick our butts. We can't go in there. Only two 
Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. So man, I, I encourage you to claim your biblical heritage, identify your promised land and claim it. There's not one path to the future you describe. And it does not come from success in your career only. In, in your description, you put a lot of emphasis on, you know, having to choose the right career and your life is kind of on hold until you do. No, be making massive deposits of success in your physical well-being, your spiritual vitality, your personal development areas socially, in your family and community. And while you're doing that, you then identify more clearly what the next career is going to look like for you. Well, this is Dan Miller. You're listening to 48 Days Online Radio Show. Each week, we blast through some of the questions that you, our listeners, submit. If you got a question, go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link, put in your question. I'd be happy to entertain that in an upcoming show. You know, these, these are real-life questions. These aren't things I dream up, and I try to choose the kind of questions that will benefit all of us in kind of unpacking and dissecting them together. So we'd love to hear from you. Kevin from Arkansas says, I've been in the information technology career for 13 years, but I haven't liked it for about six. I feel like my calling is using my artistic skills in video editing, but my city is not a big market for doing tons of video work. And my wedding video side business is barely making a profit. I've been praying and thinking about the next steps to get out of my current job, but I feel like I'm hitting a wall. I believe God wants us to work do work we love, but I get the feeling, but I, but I get the feeling God's saying, wait, okay. I get the feeling God's saying, wait, but for how long? So he's saying, you know, he's asking how long does God say I have to wait before I move into work that I really love? I think about Joseph working years as a slave prisoner before becoming a great leader. Jacob working 14 years to marry Leah. They had to wait. You're always talking about pursuing your passion, but I'd love to know your thoughts on waiting on God, even when you feel like you're in the wrong place. Great question, Kevin. You've set it up really well. You're in a job that you don't really enjoy. You kind of know what you want to move to, but you don't see the real financial potential there, but you're wondering if you should just wait, if there's something better coming or you need to just stick with what you've got. Well, you know me, but I'm always going to look for and solutions, not either or. So I don't think it's a matter of one or the other. I think if you're in a job that is what we call a core career, it's providing for you financially well, and you don't have a real clear plan of what you would do to replace that, then yeah, I think there's merit in staying there. That doesn't mean waiting in the sense that you're doing nothing. That means you are actively, aggressively exploring what would the new options look like. You're trying to build your video business on the side to get that up and running. You know, we, we use the verse out of the Bible often, Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as easels. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now we often use that as an excuse for doing nothing. And we, we are here people talking all the time. I'm waiting on the Lord. You know, the Lord hasn't released me to get a job. Gee, the kids are hungry, but the Lord hasn't given me a job. Give me a break. Get off your touche and go get a job. Waiting on the Lord does not mean being inactive. In that verse, the word wait, a more accurate description there would be to relate it to the word we use for waiter. So you go into a, a restaurant. What does the waiter do? 
You're not sitting over in the corner somewhere. He comes around, he asks you, man, can, how can I help you? What can I get you? Boom, here's what you ordered. Does it look good to you? Does it, is it working for you? I mean, he's busy doing what he knows to do based on the information that he has. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. We're very busy doing what we know to do based on the information that we have. Now, I spent 12 years in a wilderness after a big business crash. I've talked about that before. You know, built some businesses, banking laws changed, banking procedures changed, forced me into an intenable position. I ended up owing a whole lot of money, and it took me 12 years to walk through that before I really saw the light of day again, before we could own property or anything. But in that period of time, I wasn't just waiting with my arms folded. I was busting my fanny to do whatever it was I could do to get out of that situation. So I didn't spend that time doing nothing. Now, also in that time, it didn't mean that that my life was on hold. I mean, those were critical 12 years of my kids' upbringing, their teenage years. So it wasn't like we just stopped everything. We continued making those deposits of success personally, in personal development, spiritually, physically, in our family, socially, in the community. I mean, all those things, we continued doing those things And I would encourage you to see this period that you describe as waiting as a period where you're doing the same thing. You're busy, 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 but you're doing things that, you know, make a lot of sense. Well, Trevor from Canada says, I've been doing some research on coaching. I'm drawn to the idea of targeting a niche that's going to bring sustainable income because it has people who want to invest in themselves who are easy to find in groups and who have seekers not currently investing themselves, but are willing to. I'm not sure that the Christian market I've been building meets these criteria. I have over a hundred thousand followers on a distinctly Christian Twitter account at Rev Trev. My ministry blog is close to 200,000 page views a month, RevTrev.com. Still, I get more emails asking me, didn't Jesus say freely you've received, freely give, that I have sales my products? My question is, do Christians want to be coached or is it better for me to look for another niche? Okay, here's a hot potato that we could spend the next two, two weeks on. Wow. Do Christians want to be coached or is it better for me to look for another niche? Let me throw out my thoughts on this. And yes, I'm going to get enough hate mail. I can bundle it and create a bonfire with it. Certainly there are a lot of Christians who want to be coached and who will pay big bucks for the opportunity. I mean, I've made a whole lot of money coaching pastors who want to leave what they're doing for something else. I mean, that niche alone has been very, very profitable for me. But, and here's the big but, there is also a very subtle theme running through the Christian community that can make them very poor prospects for coaching in general. And that is that God is in control. He directs every situation in my life. He decides whether or not I have a job, whether or not I get a raise, whether or not my business is successful and whether or not my wife loves me. But you see where this thinking leaves if carried to an extreme and that is to the position I'm not responsible. And that is a dangerous position for anyone. From there, it's easy to point fingers of blame at the government, the company, the spouse, or God. 
too many Christians are fatalist in believing that our actions don't really matter. God controls everything anyway. Now, there are enough Christians out there that you can certainly find those who want to be coached, but it'll be a small subset of that community. So depending on how you position your coaching, you may not want to identify yourself as one who works only with Christians. You know, you can very easily position yourself as a business coach or a marketing coach or a sales coach or a health coach. I mean, there's a lot of areas of specialty where you can do niche coaching, where it covers certainly more than those who are just consider themselves Christians. Now, again, I've had a lot of coaching clients over the years who are not Christian, but they know my frame of reference. And frankly, many of them came to me specifically because they knew I was a Christian. They're more comfortable knowing where I stand than working with someone who claimed no particular worldview. There are a whole lot of coaches out there who are really loosey goosey, who uh, you don't really know where they stand on anything. Now, as a coach, it's not to superimpose your views, your opinions, and all that on the person that you're working with. But ultimately, your frame of reference is going to have a bearing on the recommendations that you make as a coach. So I have a lot of people come to me who are not Christian, specifically because they know very clearly where I stand. So I think you can do well as a Christian coach, even if you make it known that your clientele you know, may not have exactly the same spiritual frame of reference as you do. And great question. And again, that's one I've been confronted with in a thousand different ways. You know, I have never tried to base my business totally just on dealing with Christians. There's a lot of reasons for that. For one, I just simply want to be salt and light. I don't want to just sing to the choir. So I welcome the opportunities to work with people who are not Christians. Um, and and in, in many ways, it's um, easier to create an economic model for your business where you don't just narrow it down because there's so much expectation in the Christian community of, yeah, it ought to be free if you call yourself a Christian. Unfortunately so. Well, th- yeah, that's a, that's a hot potato. Huh? Thanks for the question. We'll, we'll move on, although it'd be easy to land there for a, a real long time. Nicholas from Fort Wayne, Indiana says, after 10 years of being a real estate investor, I recently became a real estate agent. I've always done well in sales. My investments pay the bills. The problem is I'm having a very difficult time getting clients as a realtor. Several weekends doing open houses, waiting for the office phone to ring, buying leads list. I decided to get out of the box and attempted to market my name with a website. We tell future gas prices.com. Now the site is open doors. It would have been closed if I were just trying to promote myself as a realtor. However, some senior brokers in my office gawk at the marketing concept and insist that I focus on traditional marketing. You create a lot of content to generate a following. However, your content seems more focused than mine. Is my approach too indirect? Will forecasting fuel add or distract from my profession as a realtor? Well, I think you can do creative things, Nicholas within the framework of real estate, you know, just creating notoriety for yourself on some other issue doesn't necessarily translate into real estate sales. And I suspect you can spend a lot of time with your predicting fuel prices that don't really, that doesn't really connect to real estate. I'd look for ideas that are real estate connected, hold seminars, contests, open houses that are 
events, not just the traditional open house. I mean, have an open or have a radio station live broadcast there or hire a local band. Do something to make it memorable. But I think you'd be better off using your creativity so you become known as the go-to guy in real estate. But I think it is kind of a stretch to build a reputation around predicting gas prices and having that necessarily connect to your success in real estate. Well, you're listening to Dan Miller. This is the 48 Days Online Radio Show. You know, you may be wondering about the 48 Days moniker that we use. That comes from a book I wrote a few years ago, 48 Days to the Work You Love. And in that, I describe 48 Days as being enough time to assess where you are, identify new options, choose the best one, and act. Now, that may seem like a short time frame, but I got really impatient in working with people who say, yeah, I'm miserable. My job sucks. You know, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm no, I'm not where I'm living out my calling. So we map out, map out a plan. And two years later, they hadn't done anything. I thought, you know what? There's got to be a timeline connected with this in which we can make those changes, even if they appear to be major changes. So that's what the 48 days is all about. That's why I hang my hat on a 48 days. That's enough time to make those decisions, whether it's buying a house, buying a car, choosing where your kid is going to go to college or creating a new career path or starting a business. So I hope you hang with me on that. That's why you hear the 48 days. If you got a question you'd like to submit here, just go to the 48 days.com website, click on the podcast link. You'll see a little box jump up there. You can submit your question in here. I'd love to entertain that for an upcoming show. Here's another real estate question. Troy, from Missouri says, I've been a real estate appraiser for 15 years. Because of recent government intervention and banking regulations, I'm having a difficult time mentally handling the new requirements for this job. It was a perfect fit for me for the first 12 years, but now I'm mentally drained. My income is about one fourth of what it was because I just can't keep up. I love being self-employed, but, and I've been spent most of my working life self-employed, but I'm feeling beaten down. We recently moved to this area so we can be debt free. I want to be alive again. Other interests are filmmaking with my kids, telling my kids stories, building things, fixing up houses and cars. Any ideas or direction for me? I become negative about life. Wow. Okay. Now, Troy, yes, the model for real estate appraising has changed dramatically. I mean, it used to be, I mean, I've got a guy, a dad and a son right here in Franklin, Tennessee that are appraisers. They're the guys I call. I always call them. I want them to do appraisals. You know, if I'm looking at buying something or if I'm selling, I want them to do the appraisals. Well, you can't do that anymore. You know, this wonderful government overreach that we have now says you can't personally pick an appraiser. You know, their, their fear is that you've got them in your back pocket and they're going to give an appraisal that's not realistic just to meet your desires. So now they randomly select an appraiser. The last couple transactions that I've had. I had people that I never met before who showed up to do the appraisal. Yeah, I don't like the system either. And it has, it's taken all the wind out of having spent the time to build your reputation and credibility. Now it's just kind of the luck of the draw. And I think the whole system really stinks. But when there is change like that, usually the best thing to do is to look for, okay, what are the new opportunities within this industry? Because an industry doesn't just go away. Real estate is rebounding. It's coming back. And there are a lot of new opportunities there 
Yeah, I'd encourage you to look for 20 other things that you could do that would embrace your knowledge of the real estate industry. They would embrace your years of experience there. So you may find those gems out there that you can buy, fix up and flip, or you can be a broker where you simply find the deals and connect people with money with those deals and get a percentage because of that. And I would look for all the ways that you can use your knowledge in real estate rather than thinking at this stage that you're going to transition out to something that's totally different where you're going to have a much longer learning curve. Robin from Gainesville, how can I improve my attention to detail? Up until two years ago, I was a web developer for my company. I was good, but my company restructured and I was moved into our operations center and my position was downgraded. I'm a high I in my disk profile. I enjoyed web programming work and I want to work on more creative projects. My problem is that I've been told that my lack of attention to detail is a major hindrance to be considered for other positions. My current position does not focus on my strengths and I feel my programming skills are atrophying. Can a high I become more like a C or am I missing something important? Well, don't try to remake who you are. That is not going to be a recommendation from me. If you're a high eye, you want opportunities that embrace that. And it sounds like it's been more clearly identified as you've moved along that your eye skills, your desire to be social, influencing, encouraging, speaking, training, persuading. I mean, those are all things that are part of the high eye category. Yeah, look for opportunities to do that, but still draw on your programming knowledge. Now, here's some examples. I mean, maybe you could move more to the marketing side, marketing and sales, the social media usage. You know, see, still see how programming can be done to embrace that, but those are things that would use your people skills more directly. No, don't try to remake yourself. Don't try to make yourself what they expect you to be. You need to find opportunities that embrace what you now know about yourself that you may not have known as clearly three or four years ago. This is an ongoing process, but the clarity that you get about knowing yourself is a great compass for moving into even better opportunities. Well, Raven from Los Angeles, California says, Dan, I'm someone who has always loved having a full plate. I love having a large variety of interest. I'm very good at a lot of different things. I've tried too many things to even name here and I've enjoyed them all. Now listen to this part of her question. How can I turn off this part of my personality and just focus on one thing? I will complete my MBA in entrepreneurship in the next year. And I know I need to stop dating different careers and finally choose one to marry. How can I get myself to do this when life is just so darn fascinating? I'm sure people think I'm nuts. Raven, I love your question. And again, just like the one before, is this a matter of squelching part of your personality or finding things that connect with it? I, I wrote a blog a couple weeks ago. I think it was called The Adjacent Possible. You can go back and find that. And I, I would recommend that you do that, Raven. Go back and find that, The Adjacent Possible. But it, it comes from a term that came from a, a researcher, biologist, And it's kind of a complex theory, but here's kind of a way to look at it. Think of being in a house that magically expands with every door you open. So you walk into a room and see three more doors leading out. Any one of those doors, you enter another room with another three doors leading out. 
Now you keep opening those doors and eventually you'll realize you're just in an expanding palace. That's not a bad thing at all. I think what you're describing is a very cool place to be that you see a whole lot of possibilities. That's something that adds to the ultimate success of a whole lot of people. If people are too narrow, now I talk about niches in your business and all that, but that doesn't mean that you just close your life down so that you have no other interest. When I am writing and I reach kind of an impasse where I just can't get that next thought, I don't just sit here looking at the computer. I get up and go out. I talk to the guys that are doing some construction things here on the property. I go for a walk down the lane, long lane, get the mail. I see birds out there everywhere. I may run into my granddaughter and we'll spend a little time together. I may jump on my little John Deere tractor and go move some mulch or move some stones. Those are all things that I consider to be great positives at helping me come back and then do more productive writing. So the fact that you are dating a whole lot of different careers, I don't think you need to see yourself just narrowing down, biting the bullet and marrying one. Golly, you described that whole process as a real negative kind of process uh, as well. And certainly there's merits in marrying somebody in a literal sense and not having to just date the field when you're 45. I mean, I certainly am delighted to have found somebody that I want to spend the rest of my life with, found her very young and we've spent a whole lot of years together now. So there's, I believe in that process too, Golly, in light of this, I guess that, trust me, that doesn't mean that I don't still notice, you know, great looking women, young gals. I mean, I do. Now, I'm not going to spend the night with them, but it certainly still gets my attention. And I, I still appreciate it when Joanne does things that, to keep herself looking great and new clothing and jewelry and hairstyle and makeup and all that. I mean, there's there's a whole lot of things that she does to keep the relationship fresh. So it's not just I've settled and now the good part is over. So I think a successful career path these days doesn't require that you ignore all your other interest. I mean, I hope that's clear in everything that I'm telling you here on this, that adjacent possibility, you see great possibilities, even when you're in one career by exploring others that are around you and being knowledgeable about those. My original degree is in psychology got that from the Ohio state university years and years ago, but the applications I've used over the years, you know, have allowed me to have a blast in selling cars and having an auto accessories business and health and fitness centers. And then because of that diversity, I've had some really cool opportunities in business consulting, speaking, teaching, writing, online marketing that we do now, your MBA in entrepreneurship leaves you wide open to go in a thousand different directions. So if you do something for three years, and then decide you're going to change direction. That's cool. Don't think that you're going to find something and it's going to force you to go in the same direction for the next 35 years till you get a gold watch. Nah, those days are over. So welcome to the fact that you have diverse interest. Yeah. Choose something and focus on it for two or three years. Even if at that point you're ready to switch gears and do something else, not uncommon at all in true entrepreneurs. Well, Matt from Georgia says, Dan, I'm a 27 years old. Since I was 17, when I had my first child and quit school, I've worked in carpet cleaning and floor floor care janitorial. I've worked mainly for two companies, one owned by my father, and I'm currently employed by a friend of the family in another cleaning company. I don't think I could start my own thing because of the lack of business in this area. Also, I'm pretty sure that if I were 
to go to work for a bigger company or my own, feelings would be hurt. Now, here's the critical phrase in Matt's question. I'm torn between loyalty and ambition. I have three kids to take care of and something's going to have to change. I feel my experience is going to waste. I'm losing days I should be using to advance in my own career. I'm a devoted listener of yours and Dave Ramsey's. Thanks for all you do. Matt, wow, tough position to be in. 27 years old. Okay, and again, I think the key phrase in your description, your situation here is, I'm torn between loyalty and ambition. Now, years ago, I find myself in much the same situation. I was working for my dad in the farm. I was taking college classes at night because I wanted some new opportunities and didn't see them coming in the farm or under his encouragement. Ultimately, because I was doing too many things, I got sick, got mononucleosis, couldn't get over it, couldn't recover, and realized I was going to have to choose. So was I going to choose ambition or loyalty? Now, what I did is I chose ambition. And there's no question about that. It's easy to frame it in the same way you're describing it. I chose my own ambition. But it's been totally clear since that very day that I made the right decision. Now, even my dad would agree with that. I would have never had the opportunities I've been able to enjoy or, or ways to impact the world and to bless my family like I have had I chosen loyalty and staying with my dad. I mean, ultimately, he sold the farm a few years later when farm prices were really high and it provided a ton of money for him and mom to enjoy the rest of their lives. Had I stayed there, he would have given up that opportunity. The farm would have just reverted to me. We would have had to work out some kind of a meager existence for dad in his later years. And farm prices dropped precipitously. I mean, that that whole, golly, that whole enterprise just took a big bath a few years later. I would have deprived him from enjoying the benefits of what he had built had I decided to stay with him. So I think you have to, it's hard to see into the future sometimes, but I think it would be a disservice to everybody involved if you ignored your own ambition. Certainly your dad would regret and feel guilty knowing that he was actually doing that. You will end up resentful if you do that. Knowing you have the responsibility for three kids, knowing that you have ambition that's going to take you places outside of what you're doing now, you need to be exploring what those are going to be and move into that fully confident that over the long haul, everybody's going to be better off. Now, time is a wonderful healer, even though at the time it may seem, seem like disloyalty. I mean, success is its own greatest revenge. We hear that. If you go on and do something successful and your dad, your parents see your, their grandchildren thriving and doing well, you happy and prospering. My gosh, I mean, my dad used to get weepy in the nursing home when he'd see me on TV. Or I'd bring in books. He could give books to all his friends in the nursing home. He used to crack me up. I'm, I'm writing books on how to get a great job. And he loved being able to give those to his friends in the nursing home. And it gave me a lot of satisfaction in being able to do that. But he loved seeing where I was, who I was, even though he didn't fully understand some of the things I was doing. I mean, he understood farming. So you plant corn, you raise it, take it to market, you get paid. That he understands. But you get paid for talking, for thinking, for writing. I mean, what's up with that? So he didn't fully understand it. I certainly never shared specifics about it would have blown his mind to know that, you know, a good day, I make more than he made in a good year, but that's another story. But 
again, follow your ambition. Ultimately, everybody wins. Following loyalty, there's a potential for everybody to end up guilty and resentful. That's not where you want to go. Now, you know, you know, I, God, again, I'm sure I'm going to get criticism for what I just said there. And, and, and just on the surface, it may sound like, well, golly, you just always, you know, bail from family connections and relationships. Not, not at all. But again, you have to take a long view of the question asked here, a long view of where you are, not just today, not just next week or next month. And when you take a long view, I'm confident that what I've just said will merit itself, will be true. Well, let me grab just one more here. Stephanie says, and this comes from Georgia, Dan, my husband was laid off for over two years ago from his corporate corporate job where he was a loyal employee for 20 years. He's an avid fan of your podcast, listens every week. However, he has major analysis paralysis. He analyzes every detail to where he freezes and will not move forward or take risk. I've encouraged him to open his own business, which he did, but he's not doing anything to grow or sell the business. He hasn't even applied for any jobs. He's not looked into going back to school nor following his passion, which he knows exactly what that is. I can't continue to lead him to water if he won't drink it. Is he just lazy or is there more there that I'm not wanting to see? She signs frustrated wife working two jobs. Well, I understand your frustration. I mean, I think that a whole lot of things deteriorate when the guy in the household is not the income provider. Now, that doesn't mean a wife can't be out there working. Certainly, there are a lot of cases where that makes sense. But I think at the end of the day, the primary income provider needs to be the guy or a whole lot of things deteriorate. Now, especially in what you're describing here, where you're working like crazy, working two jobs, and he's not doing anything that's bringing in significant income. I mean, I think there has to be a line drawn in the sand. And I've, I've got a situation right now that I'm working with where it's much like this. The wife is very successful in her own right. And the guy has been looking for a job for three years. Now, the dynamics in that often break down to being, well, we've discovered we can get by on what the wife is generating. So there's too much of a safety net there. How do you break that pattern and put the pressure on where the guy says, you know, it needs to get out. Now, in the situation I'm involved in coaching personally, there were some drastic steps that were taken with my, not my encouragement necessarily, but my uh, acquiescence at least where the wife has moved out and let the husband know that he's going to be responsible for the mortgage and the utilities. And as history has provided information for the past three years, that's not going to work. So he's forced to do something. I think that kind of pressure is not unhealthy, although I certainly don't want to see the deterioration or the ending of their relationship. So it's not that, but something has to give there. There needs to be encouragement from other friends, other family members. This isn't working. So, if this isn't working, I mean, and we just have tangible results. I mean, you can't say, well, I've been I've, for the last two years, I've been on the internet looking for jobs. No, the bottom line is if you haven't created income in the last 30 days and something needs to change. So if that means going to Taco Bell, you know, in the situation I'm working in, the gentleman went and got a job at my insistence at Home Depot. He hates it, but you know what? He's getting his confidence back because he's producing a paycheck. So he can hold his head high. He is contributing. It's not enough to make the mortgage payment and the utilities. 
But by golly, he's in the game. And now all of a sudden he's starting to get the confidence back to see other possibilities, other things that he knows he can move into that are more in line with his passion, things that he can do to be productive in the household income generation. I think it's a great way to go. And I think they're both on track there. So I, I encourage you to you know, be vocal about your discontent, but get other people to speak into the life of your husband as well. Speak with friends of his, encourage him to do the same. So he's getting encouragement from sources other than just you, where it may appear to be nagging that you don't want, but you're on the right track and legitimately. So he needs to be productive. There are jobs out there. Trust me. There are lots of jobs out there. You can jump on Craigslist and see hundreds of people who are hiring, looking for people to to start today. Now, again, it may not be a dream job, but it certainly gets one out of being inactive and not contributing at all. Well, this is Dan Miller. Thanks for being part of this community. Check out our live events, coaching events, writing events we got coming up. Hey, I'd love to see you at the Chick-fil-A simulcast on LeaderCast. It'll be right here at the factory in Franklin, Tennessee. Um, Let us see what you're doing in 48days.net, that growing community of people like you who are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable doesn't have to be a compromise. You can do both. Let us know what you're doing to accomplish both. Have a great week.